Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. Dunn Street is a campaign agency that specialises in community organising. We only work with people that want to build power to make the world a better place, including community-based organisations, trade unions, progressive businesses and social democratic parties across the globe. We develop community engagement strategies to win campaigns both big and small. Uh, we train engagement staff and volunteers in the Gantz framework of leadership organising and action, and we help folks craft their stories through the practice of public narrative that connects people through their shared values and moves them to act together. And if you want to act together with your constituency, then you should contact us and hit us up at dunstreet.com.au. Today's episode is also brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. For over 100 years, Morris Blackburn have been extending access to justice for everyday Australians through their advocacy and campaign work, and they're here to help you. They also need your help. Um, They have a job opportunity for a social media communicator uh, with a flair for progressive campaigning and the job's based in either Brisbane or Melbourne in their marketing and comms team. Uh, and for more information, check out morrisblackburn.com.au forward slash careers. Uh, and they need someone who can communicate better than I am in doing uh, advertising reads. Uh, so that's why they won't hire me. And finally, today's episode is brought to you by SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust. Lists that are up to date. Phone banks that can change minds. Emails that drive donations. Events that will energise the community both online and offline. And text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. And to find out more, simply go to their website, which is swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left politics and organising podcast that drops every Friday and dives into the progressive campaigns of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. And we're kind of going abroad as in we're crossing the water, but we're staying within the Federation of the Commonwealth of Australia because we're going to Tasmania. There is an election that has just been recently called. Tasmanians are going to the polls on the 23rd of March. Rebecca White is the leader of the Labor Party in Tasmania and she is seeking to fill the book of Labor governments across this great nation of ours. And to help us unpack this campaign, we're going to be speaking to a good friend of mine, Jack Milroy, who is a political consultant that specialises in uh, digital communication and fundraising. We've had Jack on the show previously. He's basically a Tasmanian person that we talk to. So I'm looking forward to having a chat to Jack today to get a download on um, the ins and outs of this election campaign. So look forward to that conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever the hell you get your podcast from. And if you like the show, please give us a review uh, and give us five stars on Apple Podcast or Spotify when you're done listening. And don't forget to follow Dunn Street on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All right, let's get to today's episode. We are taping this one on a Friday morning on the lands of the Wurundjeri people. Uh, this is a last minute podcast. Um, so this will get up a little bit later today as opposed to normally drops first thing Friday morning. Apologies for that. Uh, but Tasmanians are going to the polls. Uh, the Premier of Tasmania, uh, Jeremy Rockliffe, um, has called for a, a fresh election. It's going to be on March 23. And to help me preview this uh critical election on the Apple Isle. This is the the last bastion of liberal politics in the country, in the Federation, so we want to knock this one over. And to help me do that, we'll be uh, joining us is our um, 
is a political consultant, digital communications and fundraising is his speciality. Jack Milroy has been on the podcast before and he's joining me online from Hobart. Jack, great to see you again. Great to see you, Stephen. Happy to be here. Now, last time we spoke, it was um, we did our post-federal election um, re- uh, uh, review um, after a glorious result. But you and I were joking beforehand that uh, when we did the Tasmanian breakdown, you guys were the naughty boys because you didn't have such a great result. But here's a chance to amend uh, the efforts that happened at that federal poll with this uh, upcoming election. But my first question to you is, why this is an early election, right? Why is this? Why is this happening? Why are Tasmanians going back to the the polls? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and this is our second early election in a row. Um, the Liberals have not gone full term in either of their last two terms. Um, in the last term, you'll recall, kind of that was in the midst of COVID. We had an election in twenty twenty one, a year earlier than it should have been. And the Premier then, Peter Gutwin, uh, took advantage of, of that moment, um, as probably anyone in his position would have done, uh, given the, the polling and the popularity of incumbent Premiers at that time, um, and uh, took us to an election in 2021, uh, which the Liberals won a narrow majority. They won uh, 13 seats out of a, a legislature of 25. Um, and so Peter Gutwin resigned as Premier um, not too much longer after that, maybe six months to a year, I forget exactly, uh, and uh, was succeeded by Jeremy Rockliffe, who had been the health minister and uh, and longtime uh, deputy of the uh, Tasmanian Liberals. Uh, once Rockliffe took over, um, uh, relationships with a couple of um, uh, liberal backbenchers uh, kind of deteriorated. Uh, essentially, you know, long story short, uh, those two backbenchers, John Tucker and Lara Alexander, um, quit the Liberal Party and moved to the crossbench and sat as independents. They initially gave the government, well, all along they've given the government uh, confidence and supply. Um, but as time went on, Jeremy Rockliffe was unable to kind of manage the relationship with those two. They were a bit mercurial in their own ways and had kind of different things they were interested in, in chasing and uh, you know, John Tucker sat previously had sat quite far to the right of the Liberal Party and had been seen to be aligned with uh, people like Erica Betts. Uh, and Lara Alexander was quite new to politics and was elected on account back after Peter Garwin left. So essentially, uh, Rockliffe kind of called time on this minority arrangement that he was in, and uh, and the and the election was called. Uh, essentially, a failure to manage the the crossbench uh, in minority is really why we're having this early election. That's interesting. Is this a, I mean, there's sort of a risk reward thing going on right now. Obviously, uh, let's talk about the reward that you think that um, Rockcliffe thinks he will get from going to um, an election early. Yeah, look, I think he, I mean, obviously he thinks he's going to get another four years and, and really what he wants, whatever he, what every leader in Tasmania wants is a, a strong and stable majority and that's what they all campaign for. Um, you know, increasingly that doesn't seem to happen because of all sorts of shifts in the way that the electorate uh, votes and also our Hare-Clark proportional representation system, which we'll probably talk about. Um, but I think he was he's trying to take advantage of a few things. Um, he, he wanted to position this election as being something he couldn't avoid. He So he, there was a series of letters traded back and forth between the Premier and the two, uh, the two Liberal defectors uh, that were made public. And he was essentially... Um, setting the bar on, you know, a, a series of demands on them that essentially they wouldn't and couldn't meet so that he could claim, you know, that they had forced him to trigger the election. So that's the first part of this. The second part of this is that he, um, uh, there is uh, an entire kind of 
you know, shadow campaign going on, if you like, around the AFL team um, and the construction of a stadium at Macquarie Point. Um, the team has been kind of announced and re-announced a number of times and uh, the AFL has, has um, indicated that they will be un- unveiling the club strip, colours and name on uh, March 18th, so five, five days before the election at six locations across the state uh, open to the public. Uh, so you know, potentially, you know, the government's looking to kind of capitalise on 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 the kind of um, goodwill and ex- community excitement around the AFL team, which, of course, all um, of the parties support um, a, a Tasmanian AFL team, although there's differences over uh, the actual stadium um, portion of the deal. Mm-hmm. And obviously, let's talk about the risks about going to an early poll. Well, I mean, it's it's always risky in our system down here because Hair Clark does funny things and funny things get thrown up. So, unlike an election in you know New South Wales or Victoria, where you know there's there's quite a lot of polling with private and public, uh, and you can pretty well map that onto your seats and kind of get a good sense of where you are if you're the government and have a bit of a bit of an idea of you know if we go now we we're going to pick up seats or we're going to lose seats or we'll, we'll kind of know the margin. Mm-hmm. Here in our hair clerk system, that's that's harder to do um, because the vote kind of splits in funny ways. You get strong uh, local campaigns from some of your candidates and weaker ones from others. So there's always a risk with inherent hair clerk. Now, the specific risks about around this campaign, I think, are that people will see two Liberal governments not going full term. And uh, the attempt to try to pin that on these two independents, I don't think worked uh, the way that they intended it to. Um, and so I think there's a potential risk that people have just had a gut full of early elections and politicians being politicians, uh, and that could backfire on them. So I'd say those kind of things are the main risk. And then and then one other thing to consider too is that our uh, parliament is actually expanding at this election. We're going from 25 seats total uh, to 35 seats total, so quite a, quite a big jump um, proportionally. And what that's going to do is is further introduce uncertainty into the way that Hare Clark uh, elects candidates. So it's we're flying a bit blind. Everyone's flying a bit blind, I think, into this uh, election. And so you know, there's a range of outcomes that are possible, and it's it's quite hard to predict. It is interesting that they've done it from the to the risk point. Uh, you know, calling an early election and cashing in on. Uh, electoral sentiment during COVID in, in the early stages of COVID, I thought, you know, okay, that's smart. It's cheeky, but it's smart only because we saw how uh, other uh, incumbent governments in Western liberal democracies went when they went to the polls. And Jacinda Ardern is probably the biggest example that absolutely crushed it, right? Historic landslide to the Labour Party. Yet when they did go to the polls, you know, to your earlier remarks, they only just won. And that would say to me, hmm, we're not as popular as we think, even in the in that COVID, you know, p- period where there is over, there tends to be overwhelming support for for incumbent governments, regardless of their red or blue. To then do it again, I'd be starting to think to myself, are we sure? Like I'd be saying to my colleagues, are we sure about this? And to your point, the uncertainty of Hare Clark. Uh, you know, you want to make decisions based on as much evidence as you possibly can gather. And like you said, the unpredictability of her hair clerk means that you kind of, I don't think I would be making a decision based on the information that's been given to me. 
Yeah, look, that's fair. I mean, I think maybe the part that I left out is that the independents were consistently threatening to pull out of the confidence and supply agreement. So perhaps in Rockcliffe's mind is like, look, this is going to all fall apart at some point in the next year. Uh, I want to be the one to drive that. And on the 2021 performance, you know, the system threw up a very narrow majority, but the Liberals did get almost 49% of the primary. Um, so, you know, they, they had a very strong result, mostly driven by um, some really big results in the North, um, particularly in Bass, where Peter Gutwin got like a couple of quotas by himself. Um, you know, he had just un- unbelievable popularity at that time. Um, so again, I wouldn't use that as a baseline. You know, that's not a great baseline for the Liberals because it was such a unique environment that election was conducted in. Um, but yeah, there are real risks to Rockcliffe for going now. The general kind of consensus on where where things are at, um, there was a poll, uh, the, the most recent public polling we have is from late last year from EMRS, which is the kind of gold standard Tasmanian public pollster. It's pretty much also the only Tasmanian public pollster that does <laughs> that does political polls. So it's also the worst and the best. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's, a, it's the Ann Seltzer of uh, Tasmania if there was a, if she was the only pollster in Iowa, um, and that had the parties at you know the Liberals at thirty nine, Labor at twenty nine, and the Greens I think somewhere down at you know thirteen or twelve or something like that, um, and oh, and Independence or other, uh, which includes the Lambie Network at. Uh, at 19, but that's a couple months out of date, right? So, I, I, you know, that's that gives us a guide as to where things may have been at the end of last year. We're expecting some new polling, hopefully next week, public polling, um, that will give us a better sense. But right now, we're actually quite unsure where the public is. That's interesting. Okay, so you've mentioned Hare Clark uh, on a number of occasions, and I think we have to go into this Robert Burrow, pardon the pun, um, Hare. Um, now, but I but I want to preface this, Jack, by saying that can you explain it in such a way that when you're finished, our listeners don't need to go and have a lie down for about an hour just to consider what you just went through, okay? So let's do it in a way that obviously people can get a general sense of it so then they can yeah. make informed decisions about the rest of the podcast. So over to you. Okay. Explain Hair Clark. Okay. So Hair Clark uh, is a broadly, it's a proportional representation system uh, in the lower house. We have five five state electorates in Tasmania, and each of those state electorates, until this election, has elected five members. So you don't just have one member of parliament; you can have you have five members of parliament, and they'll be from different parties and and or independents. Um, and so you can pick and choose which MP you go to if a constituent has an issue. Um, at this and and in each electorate, it's just preferential voting, right? Um, optional preferential voting. So people will just number the boxes on down. Uh, parties run multiple candidates in each electorate. Um, so in this campaign, though, like I mentioned earlier, the House is expanding to 35. So instead of having five seats with five members each, we're going to have five seats with seven members each. So essentially what that means for the, you know, sophologists and, and election nerds is that the quota is kind of reduced, right? So you can you can get elected on, on a little less. So basically what it means is because of the proportional nature of the of the of the electorates electoral system it's harder to get a majority in the past it was easier when you basically had a two-party system and by definition whoever's going to win that is probably going to have a majority we have you know fairly strong and and resilient green vote uh, and we have this emerging independent or other vote when you put all those things together you're going to elect uh, members in each electorate that are going to split across parties and they're going to split 
uh, across independents. And when you put all of them together and they come together in parliament, it's the most likely outcome is that no, neither of the major parties has a majority, even though anything could change and there could be, you know, campaigns matter and, and you know, there could be a really great Labor campaign or a really great Liberal campaign that could change things. Mm. Um, based on the data we have at the moment, the most likely outcome is some form of minority, but it's kind of yet to be seen who would, who would be ahead in that situation. Okay, that's a very good job. You've done a very. You should record that and then sell that to people if they ever need to. I get someone explaining here, Clark. Well done. What I want to do now is I, I just want to give folks a bit of an overview of the the, the five seats that are, we're talking about here and get a sense from you, setting yourselves up about where Labor needs to make gains to. Mm. I say win government, but going on what you've just said to get into a situation where they can form government with um, other parties. Mm. Um, and just gives a sense of the sort of the you know the seat the demographics of the seat where it is on the island so folks can mm. sort of visually place it uh, and the types of issues uh, all people that um, will uh, impact mm. voters uh, voters voting sentiment leading up to the twenty third of March. Yeah, for sure. Where do you want to start? Well, let's go alphabetical. Why don't we start in Bass? Okay. Yeah, Bass. So uh, Bass is. Uh, um, famously known as the ejector seat in that it uh, typically at, at the federal level uh, ejects its member of parliament uh, each each year, uh, each each election cycle. Uh, it's not so much a bellwether seat like a like an Eden Monaro in that it just kind of flips out the candidate from one party uh, one year and then and then replaces it with the other one. Yeah, and this is also a, something people should uh, know is that our state electorates are the same geographical boundaries as the federal electorates. Which is a fun little factoid. I love that one. Yeah, oh, it's yeah, good to remember it that one, folks. It is. It is good to remember. So, Bass uh, is centered around Launceston, um, you know, the second largest city in Tasmania, uh, largest city in the north. Uh, typically, kind of an old money area of Tasmania, um, uh, with a lot of agriculture uh, and um, and some kind of um, shipping and trade as well. Uh, Labor uh, in the five seat um, parliament for each seat, which exists now, Labor has two in Bass. Um, uh, we need to we need to pick up seats in every single in every single electorate. So we we would want to pick up another one in Bass for sure. Bass was a really weird result in the last election because Peter Gutwin, the premier, um, uh, polled the Liberals polled sixty percent in Bass um, in uh, in twenty twenty one, and he and Gutwin pulled a number of Liberal candidates over the line based on his preferences. Now he's not contesting. So what happens in Bass this time you know, could be quite different, uh, and it'll be really interesting to see. And it's why twenty twenty one is not a particularly good baseline for anything. Is was it his personal vote? Like, is it, is is politics in Launceston incredibly local and retail, and people were like, "We love him, so we're going to vote for whoever else is on his ticket," or was it? More I think it. I think it was he. Um, I think it was just that COVID. You know, he was he was doing a press conference every single day. He closed the border. We didn't have any COVID in the community. You yeah. know, he was kind of seen as a hero by a lot of people, even you know, even Labor voters, right, who really supported his his approach to COVID. So I, I think that was um, that was a big part of it. He also unveiled that he has a panther tattoo uh, right at the beginning of the campaign, which kind of surprised a lot of people. And the Liberals made kind of a viral TikTok video about it. Like, I'm, I'm sure that doesn't actually account for much of the vote, but like it happened at the same time. So if I was on the Liberal digital team, I'd be claiming some credit for that. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, who knew that Panthers were so popular in the northern part of the state? Now, you <laughs> said that Labor needs to pick up one seat there, but if there are five seats, so currently it's it, on the on the last election, it was two to the Libs, two to Labor, one to the Independent. If the seat grows by two more, mm. are you saying the Labor needs to pick up one or should they be, um, maybe looking at picking up two? Well, I mean, it would be great to pick up two, but I think that would be unlikely. Great. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think if we can if we can pick up an additional one, um, the you know the way that it'll probably break down is probably the Liberals will probably get three, Labor will get two, and then there's five outs. Uh, sorry, there's two outstanding, and that's going to be a battle between everyone. Like that's mm-hmm. going to be a free for all between Labor, Liberals, Greens, and um, Jackie Lambie. Yep. Uh, Hard to tell how that's going to go, but if Labor were to pick up another one there, that would be a good that would be a good sign. Okay, fantastic. Let's go to Braddon. Mm. Braddon. So Braddon is um, in the northwest of the state. Uh, it is uh, a kind of a resource dependent, uh, resource industry dependent electorate. Um, historically, um, you know, issues around employment in forestry and stuff have been very significant there. Uh, it's been partic- it's been compared relative to the rest of the state more socially conservative over time, um, and it has it has been a swing state at the a swing seat at the federal level uh, until a few years ago when it has become more reliably liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, for example, uh, in the voice referendum, Braddon voted no, seventy two point two percent. So that gives okay. you a bit of a sense of yeah. where of where Braddon sits. So um, Labor Labor has. Uh, uh, a couple in Braddon. Uh, again, we need to pick up more. Um, Jackie Lambie will probably have significant support up that way. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if her personal appeal translates onto the candidate she has endorsed, because of course she's not actually running in this state election. Yeah. And we will talk more about the parties uh, in a moment, but I just wanted to give folks at home a bit mm-hmm. of a sense of the geography of the state. Let's go to Clark. Clark. So Clark is uh, the seat that includes Hobart. Um, so Clark runs from kind of Sandy Bay, if you know Hobart, which is a kind of uh, Tory kind of enclave, also includes the University of Tasmania for now uh, until it moves into the city. Um, sorry, don't at me about that. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and it goes north into the northern suburbs. So it's essentially you can imagine Clark is split in two. Um, it has the kind of wealthier kind of old Hobart, um, in the southern part of the electorate, uh, which is uh, which is you know has more wealth, higher SES, um, and more kind of greeny lefty type vote with some kind of uh, moderate liberal vote as well. And then the northern part of the electorate is the northern suburbs of Hobart that it's centered around um, uh, Glenorchy City Council, and that has traditionally been a much more working class, um, lower income part of the electorate that has favoured Labor. Now, of course, you know, you've had a lot of guests on this podcast. We've talked about Labor's challenges with traditional working class communities. That has that has um, happened in Tasmania as well. So Labor's vote in the northern suburbs is not as strong as it used to be. Um, so we're looking to, you know, in, we've nominated um, Josh Willey, who was the upper house member for the northern suburbs um, on our lower house ticket, hoping to bring up the vote there. Uh, so hopefully that helps. But, yeah, Clark is Hobart, Greater Hobart split into northern suburbs, working class, the southern part are wealthier. And looking at the breakdown from the uh, 2021 election, the the Tories have uh, two, Labor's got one, the Greens have got one, and the Independents have got one. So you're right. I mean, if, it, if, it, if that is traditionally seen as, or well, sections of the electorate is tra- traditionally seen as Labor heartland, uh, yep. you would imagine, do we, I mean, are we losing votes to the, in that heartland to the Libs? 
or to independence? Well, losing, or? losing votes to independence. Uh, yeah. There was a Christy Johnson was a uh, popular independent mayor of Glenorchy and ran in the last election and was elected as an independent. Uh, she's she's recontesting again, so you would expect that she would she would hold that seat. But with the addition of two more seats, if the Labor vote. Labor vote was a bit lower in Clark in the last election for lots of reasons we don't probably need to get into, but it was a bit lower last time. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Labor vote recovers at least to kind of the historical average or, you know, a little bit higher, we should be able to pick up a third seat in Clark. Four seats in Clark will be quite difficult, um, particularly with the strength of the Greens and the independents, but, you know, always possible. Long term, Clark should be a good seat for Labor. Um but uh, a lot of the a lot of the political kind of energy in the Labor Party in recent years has been um, devoted to the North, particularly because of the uh, importance of Braddon and Bass at a federal level, uh, and and sometimes Clark has been um, a little bit ignored, although that seems to have changed in the last few months with their um, ticket they've announced. So hopefully we can pick up a seat in Clark, but Independents will just do well here as well. What about the Greens in Clark? Because actually they have a seat here in Clark, one of the two seats they have. Um, they do. Would they, they do. be expecting to do well out of this increase in the seats in this electorate? Um, they, they'll be fighting for probably the last seat um, with um, one of the uh, independents, um, Labor and the Liberals. So I would say they're less likely to pick up an extra seat in Clark than Labor is, uh, but it is possible, um, although the Greens do particularly well in the southern part of the of the electorate and not as well in the northern suburbs, mm-hmm. although they are rebuilding at a local level and have recently elected a Greens councillor to the Norky Council. So longer term, the party's taking that area seriously. And as the demographics change in there with younger kind of upwardly mobile families moving into that area and, you know, the kind of process of gentrification that occurs, yeah. um, it's probably looking good for them in the long, in the medium term, but in the shorter term, I think it will be more tough in Clark for the Greens. Okay, uh, Franklin. Franklin. So Franklin is the seat that stretches kind of from the um, west of Hobart down into the Huon Valley. It includes Bruny Island. It includes kind of like Signet and all those you know lovely little towns that uh, when people come to visit, uh, they uh, they drive out of Hobart to. Uh, very rural. Um, but also quite left-leaning. So Labor has had that federal seat since 1993. The current um, housing minister, Julie Collins, is the member for Franklin. Uh, Franklin also has this weird um, quirk to it that's a little bit American in the map style in that it includes the Huon Valley down the kind of western side of Hobart into the middle of the state, but then also a pocket of the eastern shore of Hobart across the Derwent River over where Belrive Oval is, if you you know if you follow cricket, so uh, and though uh, many of those suburbs are quite working class, so that that kind of jacks up the vote for Labor with that little uh, quirky extra bit of the election that is not contiguous. You know, you have to drive through Clark to get to the other part of Franklin. Um, so yeah, strange. Um, a decent green vote there in 2021. Uh, the Liberals uh, pulled 42, Labor 33, and the Greens 19. Um, so if you were just to map that directly onto a 35 seat. Um, uh, uh, parliament, um, that would give you a 3-3-1, three, three, so three Liberal, three Labor, one Greens um, result. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. There's, there's, a, there's a quirk in Franklin in this election and the, the former Labor leader, David O'Byrne, um, was not pre-selected to run for Labor and is con- recontesting his seat in Franklin as an independent. Mm. So how that affects Labor's vote is, you know, remains to be seen. But um, he does have uh, popularity in, in Franklin. Um, so we'll see what happens there.
Let's take a quick break to talk about SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust. Lists that are up to date, absolutely. Phone banks uh, that can change minds. Emails that drive donations and events that will energize the community online and offline. And text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. And to find out more, go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign. Okay, let's get back to the show. In here, Clark, on the ballot paper, does it have the name of the political party next to the candidate? Yeah, I believe I believe so, although I'm caught out on that. Um, I believe so, but okay, I wouldn't say that with 100% certainty. So I know that there's, uh, we'll talk about some of the quirks about Hare Clark uh, in campaigning later mm. on, but I was just wondering uh, if that was one of them. But I, I'm not suggesting I do know that. I just was actually just throwing that out at you. Mm. A great, and I'm getting a lot of this information too. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Kevin Bonham um, on Twitter. You can find him on Twitter and he publishes a great Tasmanian election guide on his blog, kevinbonham.blogspot.com, um, that can have, if you want to get into all of the details of how each of these uh, seats works, uh, check that out. He's kind of the uh, entity green of Tasmania. So shout out he, to Kevin. He's a Tasmanian, isn't he? Yeah, he's... Um... He can be a prickly character on uh, Twitter if uh, he's, he's, he's uh, yeah he's 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 got he's he's got character and uh, I, I quite enjoy that. Have you actually ever met him? I've never met like? him in person. No. I do know I've seen him. I've seen him. I, if he's listening to this, is going to be very weird for him. But like I have seen him, um, but I didn't say hello. Uh, next time I will though. I, I've interacted with him on Twitter and and I quite enjoy him. But you know, there's certainly no one that knows more about the hair clock system in Tasmania than he does. I, yeah, I would not question his authority on that one. Um, okay, last of the uh, um, electorates is the state electorate of Lyons. Yeah, so Lyons is the uh, electorate of the Labor leader, Rebecca White, um, and it is um, a huge electorate geographically. It takes in all of the east coast of Tasmania. Um, it comes right across to kind of the central part of Tasmania, and then all the way down into the very northern suburbs of Hobart. Um, so Clark, Clark adjoins, um, adjoins Lyons right in the north. I, I, now I'm thinking about it. I wonder if Clark adjoins every electorate in Tasmania. That's an interesting thing um, that maybe someone will look up a map and find out. Um, so Lyons is uh, very diverse. It's got newer growing suburbs closer to Hobart. It's in you know, the Sorrel area. And it's got a lot of rural um uh, farm communities. It's also got kind of like sh what, what Tasmanians would call shack towns, which are essentially holiday towns on the beach. Um, yeah, very diverse. And, uh, in, and in 20 Rebecca, Rebecca herself is a country girl as well. She's you know born and raised on yep. on, on on farmland and uh, yep, still lives her. on a farm and, and manages the farm. Yeah. Sorry, you're going to, say, to keep talking about line interruption there. Yeah, I was just going to give some context. In 2021, the Liberals got 51, Labor 32, and then the Greens is much lower there at, at 9%, and the Shooters got, um, uh, you know, 4.5. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not as familiar with that part of Tasmania, um, but I imagine um, Labor will Labor currently holds two, um, and I imagine we'll be fighting out um, for a third spot uh, in Lions. Uh, interestingly, one of the uh, Liberal defectors, John Tucker, is uh, a member for Lions and is recontesting as an independent. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Mm -hmm. He's kind of a big, larger-than-life character in many ways um, and a farmer in the area. And so it will be interesting to see if he pulls a seat, does that come at the expense of, you know, maybe a, 
liberal seat or does that come at the expense of a green or a labor like we just can't really tell right now so looking across those uh five electorates uh labor currently has two members in bass braddon and lyons Mm. um out of those five electorates which ones are the ones when with the expansion of um, additional members being elected out of these electorates which of those seats do you not not a must but a likely that they do pick up yeah i would say lions lions is probably a good one just because um rebecca's vote similar to you know the leader always gets a strong vote in tasmanian elections and and you know she's been very visible out there um so the leader's vote can potentially pull someone else over the line through preferences so i would say that's a good chance and then i would also just think you know the vote for the liberals was so essentially artificially inflated in um, in Bass in 2021 because of Gutwin and because of the COVID kind of context yep. um, that, you know, uh, certainly Labor is not going to be heading towards any sort of minority government if we're not picking up uh, a seat in Lions and, and probably a seat in Bass. Yeah, okay, right. Interesting. Okay, let's talk about the um, – oh, actually, one more question before we move on to the issues. Looking at – I know that we talked before about polling. In a – um, multi-member hair clerk system what's the primary are we are we do we look at a primary number and if we do look at a primary number are we is there a certain like you know how we're sort of talking about mm. historically speaking in the last 10 years at a state or a federal election n- not hair clerk you labor kind of needs to have a primary around you know 39 40 anything 40 mm. plus then we're mm. we're looking strong right to win the mm. to win the um to win government is there a number you look for in here clark well not really because you know the liberals only won a bare majority of one in the last campaign with 49 percent. so if you get 49 percent in victoria or in new south wales like you know right. that's that's, that's, that's the board down exactly right so so it's different and, and that's largely because of the geographical distribution of the vote matters so much more here because you know it's not like if you you know run up the score in brad and you just get one mp if you run up the score in brad and you could get like three or four mps out of that so um and the same in clark or anywhere else so the the geographical distribution really matters and so if you the, the top line vote the top line vote does tell you something because you know it, it's pretty hard to win if you're polling 10 or 15 points behind the other guys or if you sorry if your eventual vote is 10 or 15 points behind the other guys um so it matters in terms of the kind of horse race but i would say it's harder to look for a kind of win number in an overall percentage than it than it is in a in a kind of regular system could it it, was it the case in the last election that um even though the libs got 40 close to 50 percent of the primary vote were they short of winning additional quotas short of winning additional uh, members electing additional members because they were like half quotas throughout distributed across the five seats yeah that's a great question i don't i don't remember um i am in many ways right to then only get 11 seats out of a 25 seat assembly well they had 13 they had 13 they lost two they lost two to the independents yeah yeah, Yeah. so they had 13 uh yeah 25. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's, 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 it's I mean, it's a, propor- though, right? it's a proportional system, right? The, the vote count roughly reflects the ultimate seat count. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. 
let's <laughs> we're going to keep on exploring this uh if not today then future podcasts as we get closer to the election itself let's talk about the issues okay because that's what folks like to hear about as well not just people nerding out on electoral mm. um mathematics um what are the issues do you think that will dominate this election uh, what are, what's what's the liberal party going to want to talk about what's labor mm. going to want to talk about yeah, so Labor um, launched their campaign with a really strong focus on cost of living. Um, so they're, you know, on the day the election was called, they kind of um, uh, made a pledge around power prices. Like power prices are quite high in Tasmania, and there's been a lot of campaigning done around that. So um, putting a putting a cap on um, power prices um, and reducing, uh, giving kind of some money back to to power consumers is a is a big part of a Labor campaign. So they want to talk about that. Uh, next, Labor moved into their childcare policy, which is around um, uh, giving public buildings to childcare operators to in on the you know on the understanding that they'll run additional childcare services there. Um, so Labor wants to talk about bread and butter Labor issues of cost of living, childcare, and the health system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Liberals, um, you know, it's it's actually a really great question because I don't think they have a great. Uh, issue set right now they're running very much on we are strong and steady and stable which doesn't really compute given uh the, the circumstances that led to, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> uh they're running they're running pretty negative they're running very hard on what they're calling a coalition of chaos um if labor were to be to form government with the support of the greens and jackie lambie and the independents which of course you know there's there's Labor is not committed to do that, but that's mm-hmm. that's what the Liberals are running on. Mm-hmm. Um, the Liberals will also want to run on the AFL team and um, the construction of the stadium at Macquarie Point. So that will be that will form, I imagine, as we get into the back half of the campaign, uh, the Liberals will really kind of hone in on on that. But the Liberals have also announced policies on uh, halving fares on public transport, um, announcing new uh, uh, expansion of the ferry network around the Derwent River. Um, you know, Tasmanian elections are very much like every day there's another announcement on a different policy area that one of the shadows or one of the ministers has and it often do- doesn't feel from all sides as 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 there's, there's kind of a, a central or cohesive message with a policy offering to back it. It often feels like, and maybe this is a function of Herr Clark um, and the way that you need to get issues out to different groups of voters but it often feels like there's a smattering of kind of policies some for everyone mm-hmm. um and uh, i would say right now labor's policy offering is more cohesive and more targeted at those kind of families that are, that we need to win back uh, and the liberals are liberals are doing what the liberals do in do really well in new south wales which is grab labor policies around election time and that's how they were able to become so dominant until chris Minns won recently was in new south wales they would just take labor policies and and just and just claim them, uh, and the Liberals down here have have kind of adopted that uh, strategy as well. Whether that works out for them, I mean, it has for the last ten years. But whether that gives them another go, I, I'm not sure. Uh, this question may be difficult to. Uh, it may require more thought than um, than a simple sort of demographic answer. But broadly speaking, across the island, who does the Labor Party need to win back into their fold in terms of voters? What kind of demographic? I hate fucking talking about demographics in some respects, but you know who are the who are their target audience basically? I mean, it's it's similar to the groups we have been losing at 
you know, the federal level in other states as well. But it's skewed by the fact that Tasmania is whiter and older than every other, pretty much every other state, I think. So what that means is that that gettable pool of voters that you might look for in Sydney or Melbourne, which are younger, ethnically diverse, um, you know, new young families, young professionals that may have migrated here or maybe second generation or something like that, they those groups exist here and it's growing uh, and that's fantastic for Tasmania, but they're not as large a proportion of the electorate as they are in, in you know, the big states. Yeah. So what that means is Labor does need to win more of those tradi- you know, traditional Labor voters that have abandoned the party kind of everywhere, but the pressure is on us to win them here to a greater degree. So that's uh, whiter, whiter voters, um, voters that are older, um, because we have one of the oldest populations in the country, you know, just more, more people means you need to win more of their votes. So um, that's a group that Labor needs to win. Um, our primary was quite low at the last election, so there's room for growth even in kind of our area, our demographics that are friendlier to us, like young families, public sector workers. Uh, Tasmania has some of the highest um, public sector employment uh, across the country, so public sector workers are also a big um uh, target group as well. Uh, so, yeah, I would say generally it's the deck is stacked. It's, it's difficult for Labor down here, modern Labor, because the coalition that we appeal to across the mainland states hasn't emerged here yet. And it will over time, but the demographics of this state are still an uphill battle for Labor. When you're talking about an older voter, we, I mean, are we talking about boomers? Are we talking about retirees? I think boomers are retirees now, oh, but yeah, uh, yeah. oh, that's true. Oh, I, oh, I, yeah, that's true. They should be retiring. Anyway. Well, plenty of them are be, because they have to keep working. Be helpful. Right? But, yeah, be helpful. Um, look, yes, I think we're talking about people like in their sixties, seventies um, is what we're talking about. Um, there's a big, you know, if you look at those population graphs, there's a big kind of um, bulge when you when, when we get over the fifty uh, age group. Uh, so a lot of those folks. Um, Tasmania is. Um, urbanizing at a really quick rate. Hobart is growing and Launceston is growing uh, and some of the other smaller cities are growing too, but uh, it's also particularly rural. So older, more rural uh, and less diverse ethnically. You know, if you were to throw that, like that's not, that's not a naturally easy constituency for labor. Mm. But if we're able to figure out a way to appeal to those groups and then we can actually project that onto the mainland. Like it would be extremely helpful for the Labor Party to, to figure out how to crack that code. But all centre-left parties across the Western world are struggling with those same groups right now. It's the same in Canada. It's the same in the US. It's the same, well, not in the UK because everyone's voting Labor now, but, you know, pretty much everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's if it, if it is that older cohort of voters we have to attract to come back, that's tough though because historically speaking, mm-hmm. older voters are pretty set in their ways. You know, whether they vote Labor or Liberal, yeah. they don't tend to move that much. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's why the, that's not the only way that we're going to win seats. So we also, like I kind of mentioned earlier, we're also not winning, uh, we're not winning a ton of seats in Clark, which is younger, which is um, more ethnically diverse. Uh, And Labor has nominated uh, a really great candidate in Clark, uh, John Kamara, who was the Tasmanian Australian of the Year uh, a couple of years ago. Um, And he is... um, uh, uh, like an uh, African refugee um, a community leader in the northern suburbs, um, and that is kind of the new face of Labor that we need to appeal to. So, like, the party is taking this stuff. We're getting there on this stuff, which is great, um, and there's certainly potential for picking up 
um, seats by appealing at younger demographics in the south of the state, mm. um, I think that's more difficult in parts of the north. Well, because just listening to you and looking at the map, like there, there are a number of seats that do come in to contact with Metropolitan Hobart. And I would think that part of my strategy would be to try and lock in as much of that vote. And they've, and I've, you know, I don't know Hobart, but I've certainly been there a couple of times on you know the work or holidays. There are young families kicking around, and yeah. those young families, I would imagine that we want to be chasing after to bring back to us if they're not with us already. And that policy you just spoke to before about childcare—that's yeah. not there for boomers, right? That's there for no, targeted directly to young families, particularly women. That's right. That's right. And I think that's a that's something I've noticed that's been a shift in the party since 2021 is has been a stronger focus on winning back young families um, and a, and a, and a stronger focus on um, ethnically diverse communities. So that's been a really good outcome, I think, of the result in 2021. Um, the caucus is quite young, actually, which is interesting. I mean, it's not it's not ethnically diverse in any way. Um, uh, really at all much i don't think i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to be uh conclusive on that um but uh, in general not particularly although it is quite young and there are a lot of you know young mums and dads in in that um caucus so i think they get it and i think they see where the potential for growth is but we do still have this population skew which skews older um, particularly in the north and so it's quite hard to have a cohesive message i think in a small market with essentially a single media market where you're trying to talk to multiple demographics at once i mean that is the challenge of electoral politics of course but like for for a major party but i do think that is something that um is is just a challenge for labor here and we and we struggle with it uh, at the federal level it's not just the state party as well interesting talking about labor Obviously, the Liberals have got their own internal issues and they've seen two of their members go and leave and join the crossbenchers. Labor has been in um, administration uh, for federal intervention uh, for a a while now. Uh, They've come out of it. Um, I'm wondering about how much do you think that the internal affairs of the Labor Party will impact in the or or will it be in the minds of voters or is it just an inside the beltway processy issue that no one even probably knew was going on? Um, so I answer that two ways. That can really affect, um, a Labor campaign. And we saw that in 2021 when internal issues blew up into the public in the first couple of weeks of the campaign. So the public can and does kind of care about it in the sense that the Liberals will make hay out of it and conservative media will make hay out of it. That said, in this election, uh, that hasn't happened as of yet, uh, which is great. Um, it seemed, you know, the, the branch is, is out of um, administration now, um, as you know, as of a couple of weeks before the election. Uh, and it seems like at this point, um, you know, there's always this thing in Hair Clark because you have to nominate so many candidates, right? It's like 35 candidates you nominate across the state. And every election, every candidate, every party loses a couple of candidates uh, at the beginning of the campaign, which is because of random stuff that comes up that was missed in vetting or they say something crazy. And the Liberals are I would guess that the Liberals are about to lose a candidate who is an anti-vax doctor um, who they've nominated in, uh, in, in Bass, I believe, or Braddon. Uh, all this is to say that that hasn't happened to Labor campaign this time, um, which is great. And so Labor has had a much steadier start to the campaign this time. So Rebecca White is the leader of our wonderful party down in Tassie. She was the leader at the last election when we lost in 2021 and has now mm. come back into the leadership role after her mm-hmm. time not in the uh, top job. Uh, what are the strengths that Rebecca brings to being at the top of the ticket for Labor? 
Yeah, like you said, Rebecca was the leader. She's the leader in 2018 and 2021, um, and, and then is back again now. Um, Rebecca's a really solid communicator. Um, um, she's young. She has a young family, so I think she understands kind of the demographics of people we were just talking about. Uh, but she's also from a rural area and, and you know, has a farm. So, you know, there's, there's some... There's some kind of crossover appeal there, which I think is great. Um, but yeah, look, really solid communicator and really good uh, media performer, I would say, put at the top of the list. Great. Actually, and for listeners, we've actually interviewed Rebecca um, on the podcast. Uh, I can't even remember what it was. I feel like it was like July t- pre-COVID, so maybe 2019, perhaps, maybe 20. Anyway, so go back and have a look. Just Google Rebecca White, Social Democratic, and it was a great chat. Um, what do you think the lessons are that she's – she and the party have learned from the last election that they will address or ensure that they can lock that shit down going into this one? I mean, the biggest one was the internal dissension that happened around the time of the last election with pre-selections. And look, I, I'm not going to pretend that there, are, there aren't still divisions in the party. And I'm not talking about like the usual left-right. You know, that's that's normal, right? That's a normal, that's not even division. That's just how parties are managed. Um, yeah. You know, when the administrators gave their final report to national executive, they they said that there are still deep issues in the branch. And I, and I think that's true. I think it would be, un, I think it would be, I think it would be silly not to acknowledge that. But that said, um, you know, uh, people are pulling together for this campaign, which is great because we do need to elect a Labor government. Um, what we've learned from the last uh, election is so we have a new uh, acting state secretary, Jared Moore, who's come down from the ACT, who has a lot of experience in uh, in Hare Clark up there. Uh, and obviously the ACT Labor Party has been very, very successful electorally. Mm. Um, so there's been some new uh, essentially rules uh, implemented, if you like, for how candidates kind of campaign and the kind of turf that they're given, um, trying to be a little more specific and um, strategic around how we divide up turf and around how how each individual candidate campaigns in relation to the broader ticket. Uh, I think that's been I think that's been really great. Can I pick you up on that one, Jack? Just to explain, because there is, and that's the one thing I've learned between the the lived experiences of Hare Clark in the ACT and Dan in Tasmania, and that is that the ACT folks seem to have managed to work together with each other, but they can't, you, you know, candidates can fall into conflict with one another, even though you're on the same team. Um, and that's obviously been a problem in Tasmania in previous years. Do you want to talk a bit about what that looked like on the ground and why that was a problem? Yeah. So essentially like if you, if you imagine a, a, a candidate or an MP running in a seat in, you know, Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane or Perth, they can go door knock anywhere in their electorate because they're the only Labor candidate. So they can talk to whatever voter they want. And in the Hare Clark system, if you've got, in this case, seven Labor candidates, uh, all in Clark in Hobart, for example, well, there's a very strong chance that if they just go out and knock on any door they want, they're going to be overlapping with other Labor candidates. And of course, we understand that that's fine. And we we get as campaigners that, you know, people will want to get out there and campaign. And that's great. The problem is, I think, from the voters' point of view, that it can introduce confusion because they're like, well, I just talked to Labor. And it's like, well, yeah, I am Labor, but I'm a, I'm a different Labor. It's like, oh, so is the other person? Why should I vote for you over the other Labor candidate? And that starts to get you into really, really tricky territory. And it's one of the, you know, it's one of the issues with mixed uh, multi-member um, electorates in any kind of PR system is that you essentially have candid- uh, Labor candidates, in this case, campaigning against each other. That is what they're doing, mm. um, you know. You know, generally people get along well and generally, you know, there's kind of camaraderie around it. But at the end of the day, people want to get elected to parliament. So the ACT has a system where they essentially divide up 
um, voters using lists through you know Campaign Central, um, the party's um, field platform, and they give candidates you know chunks of turf, like areas of geographic areas of, of houses, to go and knock uh, on those doors and presumably to call as well. Um, now the challenge with that is there are some really strong labor areas mm-hmm. in every electorate, and there are some really bad labor areas in every electorate. And how do you decide who gets, who gets what? what? Yeah. Um, and so that is what the challenge that's introduced with this system. But it's, you know, there's challenges with each way. A free-for-all has challenges. A more strategic approach has challenges. Labor doesn't nominate a kind of ticket order or a lead candidate in um, each electorate. The Greens, for example, do that. Mm. So they have a lead candidate in each electorate and then they have you know, candidates that go further down the ballot. But it's understood that the lead candidate is the one that's going to get the best like it's open that they're going to get the best turf and they're going to get the most media opportunities. We don't do that. And the Liberals don't do that either. Um, so there is potential for, we'll see what happens. We've never done this before. I'm very interested to see if candidates adhere to it, yeah. um, given, the, given the long-term culture down here. Um, and also I'm interested to see what happens if they don't adhere to it. And, um, and I'm interested to see if it helps boost our vote. Um, and I'm really interested to see if we find out later on where did the Labor vote go up and who had that turf Mm. or where did the Labor vote go down? Like there's a lot of really interesting analysis you can do afterwards to see, you know, to really measure the effectiveness of different candidates, which I think would be really, really healthy for the the party to do. And is there, uh, remind me, is there ever a conflict over um, volunteer recruitment, whose volunteers are who and pinching each other's volunteers? I believe that has, I believe that is a perennial problem. Um, And there's only so many, you know, as we know, in the Labor Party, there's only so many branch members and, and often um, um, and, and often not even as many as, as you think they are in Victoria, but uh, leaving that aside, you know, there's only so many branches, there's only so many people that, that you can draw from that pool. And they all, and they're, you know, Labor Party branch members are excellent people. They want to get out there and campaign for Labor candidates. They want to knock on doors. They want to help. They don't want to be in the middle of a fight between candidates mm. around who gets their time. And so I don't know exactly how that's being managed. I don't think you can centrally kind of tell people who they can call in the branches. I think that would probably be going a step too far. Mm. And so I imagine they're not doing that. Um, but that has been an issue in the past. You know, as a community organiser, um, you know, your brain was probably going straight to find more volunteers that aren't in the Labor Party. <laughs> you know, like that's the answer to this. Yeah, it's not to fight over a dwindling pool of people. It's to expand the pool. So hopefully yeah. candidates are doing that. I'll tell you a funny story. Well, which isn't funny. I mean, I, I can laugh about it now, but at the time I was horrified. I came down to Tasmania after the 2013 federal election because in 2013 was the first time in Victoria we, and I use the word trialed in air quotes because we weren't trialing it. In my mind, we were always going to do it. But it's the first time we really embraced the, the, the Gantz model of community or, or organising, right? Field organising, electoral organising. And so obviously other states were interested to see, oh, you know, how'd you do it, blah, blah, blah. So uh, I got asked to come down to Tasmania and on a go and speak to a group of party activists um, by one of the national organisers. Uh, and it was down in Hobart in a lovely part of um, Hobart. can't remember what it was, but a beautiful day. It was a Saturday afternoon, glorious. Anyway, and we're in this, we're in this sort of, I don't even know, it felt like a doctor's studio, but obviously it was a campaign office or something. I don't know where we were. Okay. But anyway, the room was packed. I didn't know who was in the room because yeah. it was too big for people to do introductions and stuff. And people were coming mm. and going at the back of the room. And blah, blah, blah. And this is important, right? Because someone, mm. when I'd finished my presentation, I got a lot of questions. Mm. 
Uh, and then I got a question from someone at the back of the room who said, who asked, um, what, this all sounds great, Stephen, but what happens if, you know, if you're as a candidate or an incumbent MP, um, you're too busy to do all of this volunteer recruitment or you're too busy to actually do campaigning your own electorate. And mm. I was like, hang on, it's an ele- in my brain, I'm going, it's an election. How c- what could you be, what else mm. could you be doing? You know, you should be campaigning in your electorate. Mm. And I kind of gave an off the cuff remark saying, well, you're going to lose, aren't you? You know, mm. and to the other harder working candidates, they'll be rewarded and get, and get elected. Mm. What I didn't realize the person I was speaking to was the then premier of Tasmania. <laughs> Is it Lara Giddings? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I, I didn't even know until I got in the car, yeah. I was going to lift back to the airport. And I said, well, how do you think that went? And they went, well, weren't we well, Stephen, until we told the Premier that she should get off her ass and do some more work. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. And I said, I said, you know what? Just like my old man, I back myself, you know, I stand yeah. by what I said. Probably could have, yeah. you know, sugarcoated it a bit yeah. better than that. But you know what? Yeah, you gotta get off, get off your ass and fucking do some get work. Get your ass and do it. You know, I, I, I also hazard if you're a bloody, you know, yeah. fifth on the ticket, fucking do some yeah. work. I also hazard that I don't know if a premier has ever, an incumbent premier has ever lost their seat. So I, I think, I, I think that they're they're probably okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Let's. Um, where where are we? Come, Stephen. Look, keep, keep track here. What are the weaknesses of that Labor should uh, center their attacks on the uh, on the government? Uh, look, I think that the government is very vulnerable on the performance in the health system. Um, but that is always the case. And, it, and we ran that very hard in 2021 and it didn't seem to bite. But I think we need to keep that up. Um, they're also really vulnerable on this idea that they are all kind of all hat and no cattle, you might say. Like they kind of make all these announcements and then we very rarely see those announcements turn into actual things happening in the real world. They get nothing um, done. They get all nothing done, no right? Exactly. So I think that's a I think that's a really solid line for them to run. I think that um, the Liberals are trying to run a, you know, Labor will be an unstable, you can't trust Labor, you don't know who you're going to get kind of um, line. But I also think Labor can throw that back at them just as hard right now mm. in that every time we've elected a Liberal Premier, we've got a different Premier within a couple of years. So, yeah. uh, you know, that that is, I think, going to be uh, the way we should we should attack that. Interesting. Let's quickly talk mm-hmm. about, because I'm conscious of the time, let's talk about the minor parties and the role that they're going to play. Let's first of all begin with the Greens. This gives you a reflection on, on the Greens and what their expectations will be going into this ballot. Yeah, the Greens do really well in the south of the state. They do well in Franklin and Clark. Um, their longtime leader, um, Cassie O'Connor, recently quit the lower house and is contesting an upper house seat that's not run at the same time as this election. It's a separate thing. Um, so they have lost their lower house leader, but their new leader, Rosalie Woodruff, is, is quite a good performer. I would imagine the Greens would be looking to pick up one to two seats. That They'll probably say more, but I imagine they'll be happy if they pick up, if they get to four, I imagine they'll be quite happy. Um, this is a real opportunity for every party to, as the parliament expands, to kind of get kind of free free MPs, a couple of free MPs, which you then have as incumbents, which then have a significant advantage in the next election. So this election actually will structurally like kind of shape the parliament for quite a long time, not just in the next term of parliament, because once you get these new folks elected as incumbents, they have this incumbency advantage. Sophomore swings is a thing in Hare Clark as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The one I don't get my head around and I'm interested in about is this whole Jackie Lambie 
the experience, yeah, look, which would be a great name for but, a band. Um, it, looking at the, some of the, you know, it's reasonably outdated research. It looks like she's hoovering up a lot of independent vote. Is she going to? What, yeah, what she's are we, doing. What, she's based on the polling that we have, which, like I said earlier, is is not extensive and, and is is a little out of date now. Um, she does well in the in the polling, but we have seen independents, you know, Xenophon Network, etc., poll really well and then collapse come election day. So we just got to kind of keep that out there. So the biggest question about Jackie Lambie is, um, can she translate her own popularity, which is real in Tasmania and not unearned? Mm. Um, can she translate that popularity into votes for candidates that people kind of haven't heard of, mm. but that are running on her slate? Um, she has a slick campaign. She has good branding. She has, clearly has a lot of money um, behind her campaign. Uh, they're out there. They're visible. Uh, Where's but- the money coming from? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. I think, I mean, I think she has a pretty, she should have a good fundraising, um, online fundraising apparatus. If she doesn't, you know, I'm a labor guy, but like, you know, you can, you could you can raise a lot of money if you were Jackie Lambie's email fundraising director, yep. for sure. Um, but I don't know what she takes in terms of other donations. I reckon that they, I reckon they'll, they may get one. I think that that, that balloon will deflate before election day. Um, she's refused, they have refused to take positions or prom- make promises like the, the, there's no policy behind their campaign they're very much playing for like a broker you know a, a kind of um, balance of power broker role without kind of clearly laying out what that would mean whereas the greens are also explicitly playing for the balance of power but they're saying what that would require which is probably in their political interest and i think it probably has more integrity to it as well uh, so with this question that is going to be posed every day getting closer to the election by the Liberal Party, that Labor, you know, you if you vote Labor, you're going to get the Greens and Jackie Lambie and all the other yeah. crazies. How has Labor played that question thus far and how do you see that playing out for the rest of the... Yeah, I mean, it's a vexed issue because there's a history of Labor having uh, had a, a, you know, a governing arrangement with the Greens in the past, which is now unpopular well before my time but you know i take the point that it's unpopular and was unpopular at the time um uh, labor has uh in the 2021 election labor talked a lot about a forming a majority labor government in this election we're talking a lot about forming a labor government um uh subtle difference but i think a you know a realistic one given where the parliament is likely to end up but at the same time labor has ruled out doing any deals with any other party to form government um, you know, what, what a deal is, I'm not sure. Um, and, and how that would look, uh, if, if we were close to a minority government, I'm not sure how that would play out. Both major parties have stressed that they won't do any deals. Uh, but they've also said that they'll work with the parliament that is given to them. So I think, I think that it's a little neutralized because the public has, I think, come to understand and accept that majority governments probably aren't the most, common way we will form government in Tasmania in the future. So that sting is probably wearing off, although the Liberals are running a lot of ads around this kind of coalition of chaos idea mm-hmm. towards Labor. So they clearly are seeing something in their internals that that makes them want to do that. Interesting. Well, we'll watch with uh, interest over the coming weeks about how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Last kind of couple of questions I wanted to ask you. We're running out of time to talk more about specifically mm-hmm. about the campaign, the Labor campaign that we're seeing so far and sort of stuff on the ground. But I think what we'll do, we'll get you back 
um, if you want to come back anyway, Jack, uh, uh, before election day, just to do a final sort of wrap up and get a sense of, you know, how the debates went and what kind of shit and what's been happening on the ground. But what I do want to end with is a question around, tell us about the nuances of a Tasmanian election campaign because, because of Hare Clark, there's some odd things that a lot of mm. mainlanders won't know about. And I just think it's really fun to share. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few things. The first is that there's no disclosure of donations no mandatory disclosure of donations and there's no caps. So we have Wild West money in in politics down here. So that's the first thing that's different. The second thing that's different is that uh, you can't hand out how to votes on election day. Uh, It's absolutely prohibited. So it's it's great as a party. You don't have to staff your booths. Um, But it's weird too because at the federal, in federal elections, we of course can hand out how to vote. So when we have a federal election in Tasmania, everyone goes and hands out and does the thing. And state elections, everyone's kind of like, Goes to the pub, waits around. You know, yeah, it's weird. Um, there's also um, a bunch of on, Jack. Is yeah. the reason that I know you, you say you can't, but it's it would be stupid to anyway, isn't it? Because it, am I right in assuming that the ballot papers, the order of your names on the ballot papers, is different on every ballot paper? Is that right? It's not every ballot paper, but we have a thing called Robson rotation where, yeah, there's there's a number of ballot, number of versions of the ballot paper. I can't remember how many. And essentially the names get scrambled and randomized. So, yes. So we, so you couldn't, you could, you could still have people handing out how to vote saying vote Labor though. You could still have that. You yeah, could still have yeah, that element but to not it. not instructing yes. a how to vote exactly. because it would be confusing because yes. you'd get there with the ballot paper and there would be different. Because you won't know what ballot paper someone's going to get. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that. There's also a set of laws around, um, using uh, candidates' names and likenesses. So, so for example, you can't like the Labor campaign can't put out a negative ad with Jeremy Rockliffe's face in grayscale, like is the standard political Shame. campaigning technique for everyone. Shame, I know. Um, you know, it, it's nice that we're not subjected to that, um, as, you know, in some ways. Uh, in other ways, being on a campaign, it's quite difficult to know how to... Um, how to can uh, someone appro- yeah approach that a funny quick um, contrast yeah well a funny anecdote is that in the in the 2021 campaign the D- tassie digital team that i was on we produced a digital ad that was the back of a bald man's head and it just peter gutwin is bald um who was the premier at the time and the back of this random bald man's head had some negative thing like don't trust peter gutwin i don't i don't know what it said but like we got uh pulled up by the electoral commissioner even though that wasn't peter gutwin it was a random bald man. It was a likeness that was of him and we were instructed to take it down. So that is the extent to which you can't do this stuff. Could you do a negative ad on your opponent that's sarcastic? You so can't name pretend, them. You can't use their name. Oh, you're not even allowed to use their name. That is ridiculous. No. <laughs> that is so stupid. It's, it's, a, different, it's a different world. Uh, and it's funny, as I was saying to you earlier, it's like it doesn't make politics less nasty in the state. It actually, in some ways, like I've, I find the politics quite nasty here. Um, so I don't really know that it's having the intended effect. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What, uh, any other nuances that we need to know about before we, um, uh, Tasmania still has the last tally room in the country. So on election night, uh, there's a, a tally room where everyone goes, all the parties go there. Uh, all the leaders I give their speeches that. in the same room. Uh, ABC that. will do their, ABC does their panel there. Uh, it's awesome. It's really, really cool. It's a great experience. Maybe you should come down and, and do some uh, some content down there. It's, uh, it'd be really cool. I, I don't know if they've confirmed. It's ABC that runs it. I don't know if they've confirmed they're doing it again this year, but they've always done it, and I think there'd be a bit of a riot if they didn't do it. So it's actually very cool. 
Oh, no, I love that. I think that's great because there's a nostalgia yeah. that I have from mm. watching Bob Hawke. I would have been eight yeah. when him and Hazel went to the telly room and waved yeah. on from the balcony when they won in 83. And I just like going, well, bring that back. That's fantastic. It's awesome. It is pretty cool. It's um, open well, to the public. And open to the public. All right. I'm yeah. like, I am a election campaign tourist and I think the best, like, you know, you got you to other states and you hand out for the day and you feel like you've done a good job and you go have a drink with your yeah. comrades in the night, even though you've actually just basically put in like five hours of work. Yeah. Well, everyone else has been busting their guts for like 12 months and then you rock up at the last minute and yeah. you know, drink the champagne and enjoy the spoils of victory. Um, I love doing that, but Tasmania would be more fun because you can rock up and you've got nothing to do. You just literally go and have a drink with everyone at the pub and wait for the results to come in. That's my kind of yeah. election campaign tourism. So I'm yeah, coming. Exactly. I'm coming. Love it. Love it. And you've locked me in now with that uh, uh, telly room. I'm definitely up for that. Now, for folks, though, who want to be a better human being than I and not be lazy and actually do something about this and make sure that Labor does win and therefore give us control of all state and federal uh, parliaments across our wonderful federation, um, you need to go and volunteer and knock on doors and make calls for all of the Labor candidates in these five electorates. And uh, to do so, you should go to the Tasmania Labor's website. There's going to be a link in the bio of this week's episode. Um, so please click on that. I'd read it out to you, but it'd be silly. Taslabor. You just go to the homepage. You'll find it on the homepage. Yeah. Just the Taslabor. Taslabor. Google Taslabor. Yeah. And, uh, and away you go. So please sign up. Uh, all that needs to be done now is for you to go and have meaningful, persuadable conversations with undecided and persuadable voters uh, and it's have value, values-based conversations. You don't need to be experts in policy. You don't need to be uh, knowing the strategy. All you need to do is talk from your heart and think with your head and uh, you're going to shift some votes for Labor. So please do that because uh, Rebecca and the team need all of your support and, and you don't have to be a member of the Labor Party. If you like vote Labor, just go and volunteer. Um, Jack, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Love this conversation. I love it when there's an election on because then we can do an election podcast. Uh, it's um, my favourite topic and I know it's the favourite topic of most of our listeners as well. So we really enjoyed your insights and I look forward to having you back on the show before we uh, before Tasmanians vote on the 23rd of March. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to Socially Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcast or Podchaser. And to get all the latest on Socially Democratic, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday. Socially Democratic was brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers have spent more than a century paving the hard path to justice for everyday Australians. They've helped over 500,000 Australians turn their situation around and they know how the system works. Their experience and skills means you'll get the best results possible. Find out more on their website, morrisblackburn.com.au. Morris Blackburn, experience you can count on. Socially Democratic was brought to you by SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust, lists that are up to date, phone banks that can change minds, emails that drive donations, events, that will energize the community online and offline and text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. To find out more, go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign.